You are a founder who worked hard to build your successful business. But what to do next? Your kids don't want to run it. The offers are too good not to sell. And maybe you just want to step aside and enjoy life. Is this the right time to sell your business? Kevin and his guest may have some insight. Jack Selman discusses the current market, reasons to sell, how to value your business, and the different kinds of buyers to consider. Well, Jack, thanks for coming in to join me today. I want to introduce the audience to Jack Selman. Jack's a partner here at a local law firm called Selman Munson Lerner. I say local, but he has offices all over the state and in California as well. Uh, He leads the corporate law and mergers and acquisitions part of the firm. And previously, he and I had done a number of events on the anatomy of closing a deal, closing the sale of a private business. And I wanted to bring Jack back today to talk about what that process looks like, what the market is like, and really, Jack, how things have changed substantially since the last time we well, thank you very much, Kevin, for having me. And also thank you for, uh, to Sincera Capital for uh, hosting this podcast. Uh, and I look forward to talking with you about not only the M&A space or the buying and selling of businesses, but also sort of what the current market looks like. Yeah, well, so why don't we go ahead and start with that? I think it's very apparent right now that we are in a recession. There's argument about that for some reason. People begin to argue about the technical definition the minute it doesn't fit the complete narrative. And there's a lot of interesting things going on with Federal Reserve intervention. Are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? Yes, we've had two negative quarters of GDP growth. What does that look like on your end and how are you seeing the market respond? Well, the market's definitely different than it was in 2021. Uh, And I'll talk a little bit about what that looks like. But the underlying macroeconomic trend is that there's 4 million businesses right now that are owned by baby boomers. And all of them uh, are going to be going through some sort of succession issues. There's one study right now that talks about 83% of them are expected to change hands over the next five to 10 years. So that's you know roughly 3 million businesses that are going to go through some type of either succession process or through a sale process. And as a result, despite the good times or the bad times of the economy, those founders and those businesses are getting ready for uh, a transition. Yeah, I know a lot in the wealth management business is swirling around what is called the great wealth transfer. And that's about $68 trillion worth of wealth that is going to transfer hands in the United States alone over the next two decades. And uh, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that the bulk of that, more than half of that is going to come in private business sale, one way or the other. And I think we saw in the Wall Street Journal, there's an article recently that, surprise, surprise, the buyer of your parents' business may not be you uh, and may be private equity. And uh, we know that landscape is changing quickly and that private equity as a whole is coming down downstream into the smaller business space, seeing the same opportunities. Yeah, that article was, I think, a couple of Saturdays ago in the Wall Street Journal. Um, and the title of it was, Who Will Inherit the Family Business? It's Private Equity. And I think it's sort of telling as to where we are in the, in the, the marketplace as to how these things uh, are working. A couple of things that that article pointed out, which I think are trends that we see as well, are that um, 
the owners in these sales to private equity firms are keeping a bigger stake of the business. Uh, in 2021, uh, in 2020, you might have seen an owner keep maybe 15% of the ownership. Today, that number is as high as 40 and in some cases, 50%. The private equity firms also are leaving the management teams intact. So their, their tradition of going in and buying a business and then cutting a bunch of expenses out by cutting people seems to have changed a little bit. I think a lot of that has to do with just the shortage of talent to run these businesses. And the good news is for the sellers that the private equity folks are outbidding the strategic buyers. So you're seeing quite a bit of, of active participation and interest in, in uh, private equity bidding up the price of these companies. Yeah. And you mentioned there for a second, Jack, you mentioned strategic buyers. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute, uh, what different types of buyers uh, families are looking to sell their companies to. But I wanted to just set the stage and say, let's from my perspective, when it comes to selling a business with the families that we work with, it's just really three main things they worry about at a very high level. One is the money, two is the taxes, and three is the relationships. And it's the relationships with their staff, with their employees, but also with all of the other people that are in and around their businesses have become their community. And how do you coach these families through this process as they're having to sell a business that gives them an identity in their community? Yeah, that's one of the most important questions that seems to come out from clients. It's not so much the legalese piece of of succession planning or selling a business. It has more to do with the emotional attachment that people have to their businesses. Many of the clients we represent, their businesses are in fact like another child. And the people that are in the business are like family. And so there has to be a process uh, or there's got to be some reason why people are going out and deciding to, uh, to sell their business. The big reasons uh, that we typically see, the typical motivations that people look at when they're deciding to make that kind of a change, usually it's, uh, a, a, I guess, an, uh, learning that the, their children or others really cannot run a business at the scale that they built it up to. That's often a, an issue. And so who is in fact going to take over that business? A second concern is for many of our sellers, I call them baby boomers because that's where most of them are. They have, or their spouse has a, uh, a life health event. And that often uh, awakens them up that they've got to, uh, to do something. So those are the, the main things that I'm seeing where people will try to figure out what they want to do with regards to the business. Well, let's do this. We'll move in a, a couple more tactical questions. I, I think there's really five key points that have spawned from a number of conversations that we've had and, and that you and I have talked about in the past as well. So let's start with the first one. Uh, that is, how does a family go about valuing the business for sale? Well, you can go out and hire a valuation expert who can tell you what that's worth. And a lot of times, Families do that so that they can do some estate planning, maybe doing some gifts or whatever. But the value of the business is typically what one buyer will pay for you uh, for your business at the high end of, of the, the spectrum. And so a lot of our clients will go out and hire an investment banker or a broker to go through what's called a sale process. And really, it's more like a controlled auction, if you will. And so they'll put a little book together and go out 
and you know solicit prospective buyers, many of which are private equity firms, and they'll get back uh, a handful of bids. Uh, it can be more than a handful, but usually it's a handful of bids that make sense. And they'll interview the bidders to be sure that it's a good fit. But you really don't know what the value of your business is until you do a market test, because invariably, there's always somebody that is interested in uh, in buying that business for one reason that you just didn't understand. So I'll give you one example. We had an insurance company that we uh, were in the process of helping sell. They went out to the marketplace. Uh, they thought they were going to get a purchase price of about $24 million. And sure enough, when they went out and asked the bidders, they got a bid at 26 million and 27 million in that range. And then they got an outlier bid at 42 million. Why, why would somebody pay $42 million for what the marketplace was saying was really about 25, 26 million dollars? We didn't know. We couldn't figure it out. We knew that they were motivated. We ended up closing the sale for $42 million. But you just don't know what the marketplace looks like until you go out and you work a process. Well, that leads me into my next question is one of the reasons that I would think a buyer would be willing to pay that much more is that they were a strategic buyer, not just a financial buyer. And my question to you is, in your experience working with the families, do they typically prefer one over the other, a strategic or a financial buyer? It's really sort of changed since uh, in the last year. In 2021, it was primarily all financial buyers. They had the large uh, reserves of cash and ability to borrow money, and they were bidding all the projects up. And then, of course, the world uh, adjusted a little bit, and there was uh, a number of economic issues that affected things. And so in 2022, you're seeing a lot more strategics uh, participating in the process. Now, it's a little hard these days to differentiate between a financial buyer and a strategic buyer. Typically, we could call a financial buyer somebody like a private equity firm or somebody that's buying it for the cash flow. And a strategic buyer is often buying it because it provides a competitive business or provides some sort of leverage in the marketplace. But as private equity has come in and bought up a bunch of companies, bought up a a bunch of what we call platforms, the private equity folks are now becoming strategic buyers because they're they're rolling up companies or industries or they're adding on to their initial investment. The differences I'll mention uh, between 21 and 2021 and 2024 is that there is a lot more of a focus about who your partner is going to be, both on the buy side and the sell side. On the sell side, you know, you're going to have a larger piece of equity in the company after the transaction. And so you want to know who you're going to deal with. The buyers are looking for good business partners because the market is a lot more disciplined than it was in the past. Um, And so you'll see, for example, that buyers are looking to buy businesses that they easily understand. Uh, They don't want things that are way too complicated or that they can't um, quantify from a financial standpoint. And they're also, uh, the buyers are wanting to to stay within their circle of competence. So you're not seeing companies or buyers necessarily going out and buying some odd division or odd interpretation of what their strategy might be. They're pretty much staying within the bandwidth of their circle of competence. Yeah. I think too, what we see a lot on the venture capital side, not just the buyout side, is that a lot of these private equity firms 
have resources themselves. So they have quote unquote venture partners with expertise in certain areas, and they're trying to bring value above and beyond a financial transaction. Yes. I mean, the, the, the letters of intent our clients are getting now have two pages of persuasion as to why the buyer is the best fit for the seller. And they talk about things like um, other companies that they have that are similar to um, you know, the target that they're trying to buy. They have at least a page and a half describing how their team and their resources will enhance um, the overall performance of the company. And a lot of that makes sense because in essence, they're asking the seller not only to sell the company, but also to participate in the ownership from you know the standpoint of say 20% to 40% of the surviving company. So Jack, we talked quite a bit about both strategic and financial buyers, but we didn't touch at all on family buyers. I know for generations, you know, companies would be Joseph and Company and then Joseph and Sons and then Joseph and Joseph and Sons and so on and so forth. Uh, what are it seems that those days are are gone or at least fading. What are some of the pitfalls that why families choose not to pass it amongst the generation? And what are some of the reasons they should still consider that? Well, a number of clients that come and see us ask that very question. They initially want to talk about succession planning, meaning how do I move the ownership of the company from myself to my children or uh, stepchildren or other family members? Um, versus, uh, you know, selling the company outright and being able to, you know, monetize the uh, the investment. On the succession plan side of things, um, it's a lot harder to do a successful succession plan and move ownership from uh, the parents to the children than it is to sell the business. So let me just give you a, a flavor for that. There are some studies out there that indicate that 20% of succession plans or being able to move to the first generation um, are successful. And a lot of it has to do with you know, who the children are and frankly, whether or not they want to have the obligation to, uh, to continue to run the business and, and manage the business. It's a lot of extra pressure in a family situation to be in charge of the family business and things go good or bad and you're, you're on watch. So there's, there's a, a lower probability of success of succession planning. The other thing is a good succession plan where you're moving it, say, from the parents to the kids, usually will take four to five years. It's not something that you can accomplish in a, uh, in a short period of time. On the, on the other side of things, if the parents are looking for liquidity in some form or fashion to either fund retirement or to do some other type of estate planning, a sale to a third party is the most viable method for the seller to meet its liquidity objectives. Not only do they get the premium price, remember my example a minute ago about, you know, you don't know what the value of the business is until you go through an auction process. Um, not only are they able to get a, a good price, but they're also able to get um, liquidity in uh, upfront, as opposed to a succession plan, which often has payments over several years. Well, you touched on the next question for me, which is the length of time it takes to sell a business. And it sounds like if that's a transition or a succession within the family, it can take much longer than if it's an outright sale process or an auction process. Um, so the question is really twofold is how long does it typically take in a sale process? And then in that process, when do you tell your employees? 
Well, you want to try to postpone telling your employees much about that kind of a transition or succession until you absolutely have to, in large part, because if you're going to do a sale, there is some risk that the transaction uh, will not close on time or that it will not close at all. There's a, a recent study that came out that said for transactions between 10 million and 50 million in purchase price, over half of those transactions don't close. Mm. So the last thing you want to do is go out and tell your employees that you know they're going to be wearing the green hat instead of the red hat, and all of a sudden, you know, the transaction falls out. So in most cases on a sales side of things, you're we're talk, talking to the employees virtually 24 hours, 48 hours before the closing. Now, there are a group of employees that have to know because they're going to be necessary to execute the sale. And we often recommend to clients that they put together some sort of stay bonus letter to keep those people um, active and give them some job security. And that's usually what a, a controller, CFO, COO type yes, individuals, that, that's any right. equity owners would be in, in that. Right. Now, it would, it would be primarily the folks that have to do all the hard work of proving up the condition of the company and the future of the company. So your rank and file employee probably doesn't need to know about it until there's a transition. Well, and speaking of people who, who need to know, as you work with these families and you witness families have successful exits from their business, what, what team does this seller need to have around them to most effectively and efficiently manage the sale of a business? In a, in a perfect world, you would try to start planning the sale or transition a year or two years out. Uh, if it's a succession plan, I think you need to be thinking about at least two years out. If it's a sale, uh, six months to nine months would be the shortest amount of time that you would want to have the planning there. The team that you want to have is going to be, number one, is going to be a CPA or someone that can help you with the financial side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you, most of the clients we represent, they have a controller and maybe they have a full-time CFO, but they don't have somebody that's really up to speed in order to help them do a full sale transaction. So you need to have somebody that can help you with the financial side of things. You need somebody that can help you with the marketing of the company. Um, so you may choose to hire a broker or an investment banker. You obviously need somebody like us uh, as lawyers that uh, do transactions on a regular basis. I can't tell you how many times I've been hired uh, to do transactions where they were well represented by other legal counsel. They just didn't want the other legal counsel to know there was a tra- transaction in the process. <laughs> but in any event, um, you need uh, legal counsel. You need you know wealth management folks because what's going to happen is is within 60 to 120 days, you're going to get a large amount of, uh, of cash from the purchase price, and you've got to have a plan to put that uh, to use. And also, if you're going to be holding a large piece of the equity of the company, you're going to want to have some discussion as to diversification or whatever. So those are the, those are the main folks. I, you, know, you can add maybe an estate planning lawyer because a lot of our clients like to have the ownership move to a trust or something in advance of a sale. But those are the main groups. Yeah, I would say most often on on my end, when we're working on a transaction like that, I would say the wealth manager and estate planning attorney, if done well, are working very closely together. And those are the ones that are set up very successfully. Well, I know, Jack, I, again, just wanted to thank you for coming in today. And then 
before we we get things wrapped up today, I just wanted to see if we could just get your two best pieces of advice through all of the transactions that you've worked on for a seller before they move, before they sign an LOI, before they do anything, what do they need to consider both legally and maybe just personally? Is this the right time for me to sell my business? Yes or no? I think the first thing is to understand what purchasers want. And what they're really wanting is a documented, believable future at a fair price. So the question is, are you ready with not so much your legal documents, but with your financial documents? Most of the the heavy lifting these days in these transactions have to do more with financial issues than legal issues. So I think it's important to, um, to at least figure out how you're going to do that and how you're going to create that. It's, it's a lot more uh, work than you probably think it is. And you're going to need help from both internal staff and also external staff as far as, um, you know, as far as, as how you prepare for all that. I think the other thing to do is to test the market with conversations with investment bankers or other valuation experts to see whether or not this is a good time for you to go into the marketplace. In 2021, there were industries that were very, very hot and that uh, were getting many bids. And in 2022, it's a whole different universe. I mean, most of the projects we're working on right now have to do with energy or internet sales or healthcare. Last year's projects were a whole different variety of folks in different kinds of companies. So being knowledgeable about the marketplace, you can't time everything perfectly, but being able knowledgeable about that and trying to get educated about what that looks like uh, is probably a good um, practice as well. Well, thanks, Jack. I know I can't add any more value than that. Uh, You're the one that really is on the front lines of these types of transactions. And uh, I really appreciate you carving some time out to come in here, record the podcast, and uh, we'll plan to do a follow-up in another market environment when the market turns back and that big pool of capital is getting deployed. I'm sure this conversation will be different then. Well, thank you again, Kevin, for including me. And uh, I don't think it'll be long. We'll, we'll, we'll be uh, happy again. I hope so. Thanks, Jack. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Uncorrelated Minds podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. For more information on the topics covered in this podcast, please visit the show notes page for links to further information at www.sinaceracapital.com. Sinacera Capital is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Sinacera and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and it should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or offer to sell a security. It does not take into account any investor's particular investment objectives, strategies, tax status, or investment horizon. You should consult your attorney or tax advisor. All information has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy is not guaranteed. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy, reliability, or completeness of, or liability for, decisions based on such information, and it should not be relied on as such. The views expressed in this commentary are subject to change based on market and other conditions. 
These documents may contain certain statements that may be deemed forward-looking statements. Please note that any such statements are not guarantees of any future performance, and actual results or developments may differ materially from those projected. Any projections, market outlooks, or estimates are based upon certain assumptions and should not be construed as indicative of actual events that will occur. information on the topics covered in this podcast, please visit the show notes page for links to further information at www.sinaceracapital.com. Sinacera Capital is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Sinacera and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and it should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or offer to sell a security. It does not take into account any investor's particular investment objectives, strategies, tax status, or investment horizon. You should consult your attorney or tax advisor. All information has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy is not guaranteed. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy, reliability, or completeness of reliability for decisions based on such information, and it should not be relied on as such. The views expressed in this commentary are subject to change based on market and other conditions. These documents may contain certain statements that may be deemed forward-looking statements. Please note that any such statements are not guarantees of any future performance, and actual results or developments may differ materially from those projected. Any projections, market outlooks, or estimates are based upon certain assumptions and should not be construed as indicative of actual events that will occur.